daft hey hey and what we're we're trying to figure out in terms of having what we call a lav she'in shavabakal a lav she'in shavabakal means a prohibition that is not analogous across the board in other words something which is only prohibited to kohanim is not considered a lav hashavabakal because it's not applicable to all people equally it's only applicable to kohanim now halacha is there is no halacha that a non kohen is not permitted to make himself tamay. Okay, so you want to go knock yourself out and go walk into a you know funeral home, knock yourself out. No problem. There's no prohibition to make yourself tamay. Okay, and still it's a lavshi in shabbakal. It is not a equally applicable prohibition. Only applies to kohanim. The time of the kasrachmana Aaron. Why doesn't it apply to women? The only reason is because the Torah says explicitly. Only the sons of Aaron need to be concerned for making themselves tamay, but Aaron, but not the daughters of Aaron. So therefore, women who are born to Kohanim are allowed to make themselves tamay at will, right? Now, is that a smart thing if it's right before eating cover Pesach? No, but they are allowed to. There's no additional prohibition to making yourself tamay. But yet, Rava was under the, the angle that we're taking right now is that perhaps anything that women are prohibited to do, I'm sorry, anything that men are prohibited to do, their commensurate um, compatriots are also going to be prohibited to do. So he said, well, it's actually an exception. The exception is, it's a lav she'en shavabakal. Right? So the Gemara says, the Yiftuma, it's a lav she'en shavabakal. And still, the only reason why they're excluded is because it says it explicitly. Not for the fact that it said it explicitly. I would have said that women are indeed obligated not to become Kameh as well, even though it's a lav she'en shavabakal. My time, lav mishum the Rav Yehuda Merav, that reason for this must be because of that which Rav Yehuda said the name about. Merav says, look, not true. I would have learned from the fact that it says that they will not take, which teaches us that women are indeed liable to prohibitions that apply to men, even if those prohibitions are not Shabbat Another version of this entire conversation would go like this, right? We would say, we would say, um, it was necessary to say, it was necessary to say taking, right? Uh, that why? I would have thought to say, I would have learned out from Tuma that women are, in general, exempt from prohibitions that don't apply to everyone. That would have been our source text, and the fact that women are exempt from prohibitions to become Tame. That, that, that's not true. And the fact that it says, uh, teaches us that it is only by, by Tuma and not, and not everywhere as well. Uh, sorry, the Hintzibu. So they went to Hintzibu. The Asrei, the Rav Idibar Oven, so a province, they went to the special, the, to the town of Rav Idibar Oven. When they were asked the question, are kosher women, in other words, a kohenis, a woman who is a daughter of a kohen, is she prohibited to marry a man who is possible, who's qualified for marrying to the nation or not? I'm a little papa, papa said to them, Tani Sua, bring the mission as a proof about this. Asari Yosun Alumni Babel. The Mishnah and Kedushan teaches that there were 10 different classes that went up to Babel. In other words, different levels of miyuchas, right? Of, of having a level of yichas, a distinguished lineage. Kahanim, Leviim, Israelim. Those are three, three different classes. Chalalim, our Kohanim have become uh, you know, no longer valid as Kohanim because their father engaged in relations with a woman who was prohibited to him. Gerim, converts. V'chavurim, slaves have been freed. Mamzerim, bastards. Nesinim, the Gevonim, who we spoke about earlier. Shtuki, are people about whom we don't know exactly what their lineage is. They are Sufi, people who are gathered from the marketplace. We really don't know what their lineage is, right? Ten different classes. 
Continuing to quote the Mishnah. are permitted to marry each other. A Levite, Israelite, a Halal, who's a Kain, who is, you know, from the lineage of a Kain, but is no longer a Kain, because his father did a relationship that was prohibited. Gerim, converts, Harurim, freed slaves, are permitted to marry each other. Gerim, Harurim, Manzeri, Nesini, Shtuki, Vasufi, Makarim, Lavi, Zebazep. Converts, freed slaves, bastards, Kivonim. Uh, people who are we we are quiet about their lineage and people who are a suspect lineage who gathered from the shuk, those are allowed to marry each other. But it doesn't say anything that a daughter of a Kayan is permitted to marry a Khalal. It doesn't say that in the Mishnah. That to teach you should teach you that Kahanas are permitted, are not I'm sorry, Kahanas are indeed not permitted to marry a Khalal. So um Amale Rahuna Bereda Rabishua, Rahuna's son of Rabishua says to him, Kalecha Dahani Nasbi Mahani, Ahani Nasbi Mahani Katani. Only the only type of cases that we mentioned in the mission are cases where they go both ways. In other words, a man from this class can marry a woman from that class, and a woman from this from this class can marry a man from that class. And you, it's not going to work because a mamzer can marry a female convert, mamzeras can marry a a male convert. But you cannot have a though a kehenis can marry a halal, but a kayan cannot marry a halala. If a kain would, would, would want to come forward and marry a halala, we would not permit him to marry the halala. Therefore, we don't teach, we don't teach that in our mission. They came in front of Ravidi Baravan. And he said to them, What are you wasting time with your do you come here, your do you come there, and your hypotheticals and your theoreticals? I'll tell it to you straight. Rabbi Huda said the name of Rav. This is the halacha. Done. Stop wasting time. I think it's an important lesson here about uh, about the limitations of, of human uh, intuition, human logic, and, and the recognition that we have to um, submit ourselves to the authority of the tradition. It said that we have these categories of people who are prohibited on a rabbinic level. Somebody is permitted, I'm sorry, prohibited on a rabbinic level to the husband, but not prohibited to the yavam, right? In other words, let's say you had a, uh, a husband who got married to his wife's uh, great-grandmother. It's only prohibited on a shnia level, right? Now, the yavam is not related at all to this woman, so she's totally permitted to him. Does she get a ksuba from the yavam, a divorce settlement from the yavam? Even though my mark, subasal nitse bailarishan, since halacha is that ideally the ksuba comes from the property of her first husband, and only as a concern that perhaps they, uh, if they don't have anything, we say you go to the second. But in this case, she wouldn't get a ksuba from the first husband because she wasn't allowed to marry him in the first place, lesla. And therefore, she doesn't get one. Or perhaps we say, even the ilu lesla merishin tikinu larabana Or perhaps, since we've already found that in a case where the husband did not have anything to give, the dead husband, so then, indeed, the rabbis say that you are allowed to take from the second, not allowed to, but we, we want the second husband to then, the brother-in-law, the brother, we want him to provide her with exuba. So maybe we say that over here, too. And if she's prohibited on a secondary type level, right, a rabbinic level to the husband, she doesn't even get anything from the yavam. The implication is that there are times that you would get from the Yavam, right, under certain circumstances. Umar says, you have to say that something is missing in the reef. This is how you have to read it. Ksuba is going to be collected from the property of her first husband. 
he left the Marishan and if she's not able to get anything from the first husband, then they say he gets them a second. If she's a secondary Arab to the husband, then even from the Yavam, she does not end up getting. Once again, going back and forth with your theoreticals, your castles in the sky, your ivory towers, here's the tradition. A widow, the Kaingado, not allowed to marry him. A Grushma Halitz, the Kaingado, the woman who had a Halitz done to her or a divorce done to her, and now she wants to get married to a regular Kain, not permitted. Yeshlem Azainus, the alien Azainus. When they are married, are they, do they get support from the husband? Does they have to give them, um, you know, uh, what do you call alimony or not? If you say it's a case where she's actually still married with him, what do you mean? We, we want him to get divorced right now. We don't want him staying married to her. And you're going to say that now she's entitled to support? Is it possible she gets support? In cases where he actually was no longer with her. So indeed, she wasn't going to be violating prohibitions on a regular basis by sleeping with them. She borrowed money to eat. What do we say? Can we say that support is uh, one of the conditions of the ksuba? Since she still got to Ksuba, the divorce, the settlement um, uh, sum, therefore she also gets the support. Maybe she only gets Ksuba because when she takes it, she goes. But if in a situation where she might end up staying with the husband, then maybe she doesn't get it all. Less we don't want her to get anything. I'm not Lesla, indeed, she doesn't get. But Tanya, we learned in the right. So Yeshla, she does get. When did we say that? It's only after he died, and there's no longer a worry that he won't divorce. It's the Amir that those who say, that she does get. But the other one said, but she needs to be taken out after the divorce. But we know, she does get. When is that so? After he has already died. The widow is married to the king. A divorcee or chalutza was married to a regular claim. She gets her ksuba. Her fruits, support, and clothing. But she becomes unfit. And her child is unfit. And we force him to divorce her. When it comes to secondary arayas, on a rabbinic level, she doesn't get ksuba. She doesn't get the, the fruits. And not support. And not the leftover clothing. From her support. But yet she's still permitted to a kahuna. Blood that kasher and her child is still fit to marry a kain. The kaif and Isla Haiti is still the husband is forced to divorce her. Why do we say that a widow is married to a kain? She still gets a ksuba. Because when the widow is married to a kain, he becomes possible when he marries her. And therefore, he's, he's, um, he's not allowed to, to, the, to perform the, the service in the base of Mikdash as, as long as he's married to her. The heap sula, she becomes possible. Anytime we find that he becomes possible and she becomes Sula through this action, then indeed the rabbi said he has to actually give a Ksuba, even though um, in the Raisa maybe we wouldn't have to give a Ksuba in this scenario. But since he made himself possible anyways, the rabbi said, We're so angry that you have to give a Ksuba. Why did they say this? So why did they say that people who are forbidden on a rabbinic level to marry each other, they don't get a Ksuba? Because indeed he's still permitted on a derived level. The Hikshira, she's still permitted on a Torah level. Wherever he and she also are still both okay. The rabbis will penalize her by not giving her a Why? Because if she's still able to get married to someone else, then get divorced and get married to someone who's more appropriate. But if she's not able to, then we're not going to penalize her. 
the former case, the earlier cases are the cases of the Taira prohibition. And in general, when there's something that's prohibited on a Torah level, you don't need to add your, your Takanas to it. However, the secondary arias are only prohibited on rabbinic level, so to speak. And we needed to add more um, you know, backbone to the because unfortunately people don't take them as serious. Another way to say this is in the earlier case, the man is causing the woman to, to, um, to become married, right? But over here, in the latter case, where the assumption is that presumably she's the one who, who initiated or, or uh, induced him to marry her because it's not going to affect her or her children's status. Who taught this halacha? That those who say Rishim and Elazar Rishim and Elazar is one of the And you're saying a reason. Why is it that we say that when the man is going to become possible, the woman is going to be possible, that comes to a Siksuba, then we force him to pay the Siksuba as a penalty. Typically, in this scenario, he's going to be the one who, who seduces her, convinces her to get married. Why is it that when he's kosher and she's Shera and that this relationship is not going to invalidate it to others, but then we give her the kana, right? making her lose the kusub. She is the one who induces him to get married. There are those who say, Rebbe Kitanila, Rebbe Chalutza was difficult for him to understand. Chalutza is only prohibited on a rabbinic level to get married to a kayin. And yet she still gets her ksuba. Then he, he came back and said, even the Pasallah, since she's prohibited on a rabbinic level, Zehu Margila, that this is going to be that clearly he's going to be the one to convince her to, to get married. Mazuhi Margilasa, but with the case of where the secondary prohibition, then she convinces him to get married. Mayaka bin Rabbi Shemanalaz, but there's a good Rabbi Shemanalaz, right? The difference is a Mamzaras, a woman who is a bastard, and an Asina, a woman who is from the Gibainim, to a Israelite, what that is going to be the difference between them. We don't need to add another prohibition and we were not going to penalize for making them lose their ksuba. Because anyways, people take their rights to prohibitions more seriously. Right? Unfortunately, that's the way of the world. And these two prohibitions are prohibited on Torah at their level. Therefore, no need to take away the ksuba. But according to what it says that the reason why we take away her ksuba is because the presumption is that she's the one who convinced them to enter into this relationship. Over here also, she has nothing to lose. Because anyway, she's prohibited to all Jews. So therefore, we should take away her ksuba. <coughs> case of a child between a, uh, a marriage of a woman who is a mamzer and a slave, right? Or vice versa. That the child has both of these statuses. The difference is the case of a man who gets married to his divorced wife after she had after the divorce was already married to someone else and they got divorced. Not permitted to. That's prohibited on a Torah level and therefore we don't need to make a, a fence because anyway, she's not, nobody's going to do that. We're not concerned for it. And therefore on the off-off, extreme outlier case, we're not going to need to make a fence for it. Over here, she induces him. Well, she has nothing to lose by marrying another Jew because why? Because anyway, she's forbidden to a Kohen. So why would she be? She has nothing to lose. So therefore, perhaps she commits him. According to Rabbi who says that even in a relationship of a man to a woman that's only prohibited on a rabbinic, uh, sorry, on a total level, but just a regular laugh, not Misa, and still the child is a monster in that case, 
what are you going to say? Then the woman, well, then indeed, there's no reason to think that she induced him. There's a with the case of a non-virgin who gets married to a kain gadol. Madam or Daraisa, according to the one who said that a prohibition to Torah, you don't need to add more strength to it. Anami Daraisa, this is also prohibited from a Torah level. Madam of Nesha Humagila, but according to the one who said that he has to give her the Ksuba because he's convinced her to get married. But she induces her because once again, she has nothing to lose by marrying a Jew because her children will not even become halalim. And there's absolutely no impetus for her not to do this. says that these children will become halalim. Right, even if they're only prohibited to each other as uh, from a regular chayve laven, right? they still become halalim. So therefore, there's reason to believe that she did not do it because she wouldn't want to create this. Uh, she wouldn't want to create the situation. She did not commit to do it. And therefore, there's no reason to penalize her. The difference between them is the case of a man who brings back a woman who might be a saita, who might have committed adultery under him, not permitted to bring her back, but if he did. Mandam or Daraisa, according to the one who says that's prohibited from the Torah, you don't need to add, add more to it. And Ami Daraisa is also prohibited from the Torah, no reason to give the Ksuba. Mandam or Nisha Humagila, according to the one who said that he has to give her the Ksuba because he's convinced her to do this. Ahi Margalale, she convinced him because there's nothing to lose once again by marrying a Jew. The Masif and Kharish, Dama Afilo Halak Baila Lahashkesa, Ubala Badara Hasa Azaina. Masif and Kharish, she says that if the husband is bringing her to drink the waters, that's Saita, potential Saita, and he sleeps with her on the way, that itself makes her a Zaina, even though he's her husband. Hale Margalale, but over there, the woman was not the one who convinced him. Laimidi, Alama Marbarashi, Saita Vadek, Minaya. The difference between them is a case of someone who is a Saita Vadek, who is certainly prohibited from, from the. Um, so it'd be better from the husband, but yet on the other hand, if, if they have children, those children will not be mamzerim. Okay, they won't be bastard children, even though she's not permitted to stay with his husband, and therefore she's nothing to lose by staying with him, and therefore we need to penalize her because otherwise she will stay with him. Zuck, the next mission. You have a bas. You have a bas. Um, <coughs> bas Yisrael meiratzis the kain. You have a daughter of a, a Israelite who had erison done to a kain. Meubaras mikain. Shemeris Yavam Lekain, and Mirabaras Mikain, someone whose husband was a Kain and now she's pregnant. Shemeris Yavam Likain, someone who was married to a Kain and now she's waiting for Yibam Rachalit to be done. So, Rachain Baskain, the Israel, so she's the daughter of a Kain to a non Kain. Let's say you have a daughter of a non Kain is married to a Levi, first stage marriage to a Levi. Mirabaras Mikain is pregnant from a Levi. Shemaris Yavam Alevi, or is going to be falling to Yimra Chalitza to Alevi. Vechain Bas Levi, the Israel, such as daughter of Alevi to a non Kain. Etechava Meiser is not allowed to eat Meiser. We refer to here as Meiser Rishon, that is typically given to the Levim. Bas Levi, Meurasas the Kain. Let's say you have the daughter of Alevi who gets married to a Kain, first stage. Meubaras the Kain is pregnant from a Kain. Shemaris Yavam the Kain, or is it Shemaris Yavam to a Kain? Vechain Bas Kain the Levi, so to the daughter of a Kain to a Levi. Right. In other words, a case of like this: a daughter of an Israelite who has getting married to a lady. So let her be a zara. Zara Even if she's just a regular zara, a regular Israelite, why is she not allowed to eat meiser? Since when can can other um, people not eat meiser rishon? The ten percent that goes to the lady. You're not allowed to eat the truma. Right. If a zara eats truma, the chayamisa. But a zar ladi, my it just belongs to the lady, right? And you have to eat it. But if he wants to give it to you, that's his prerogative. 
I'm not going to rush. Well, I'm not even married. Indeed, it's the Benyam Mayor who says that Maisel reached in the first stage of Maisel that goes to the uh, Levi. Indeed, that stage, that 10% is forbidden to Zarim, the Tanya, and the Raisa. Shuma like Kaina, Maisel reached in the Levi. Shuma goes to the Kaina, Maisel reached and goes to the Levi. David Mayor was the Mayor. All right. Take care, guys. Good to see you all, all right. back. Bye. Good night.